Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. Before we jump in, I have a question for you. Have you reserved your seats yet? We've got Christmas in Nampa coming up. It's a fun church family tradition we have every year before Christmas. We get together, sing Christmas songs with candlelight and hot cocoa while we hear the story about our Savior. It's a great time to bring the whole family and friend group to. Make this your family tradition as we have Christmas in Nampa. You can get all the info and reserve your seats on Facebook or the church website. Now, let's jump into the message. Are you guys ready? Very nice. I'm just excited about what God is doing uh, here in our valley. I I love hearing reports of of lives changed, of people's hearts turning towards Jesus. Every single time that that I hear that somebody gave their life to Jesus, even right here in our church, I just get fired up, you guys. I mean, that fires me up. There's nothing, like, there's no other reason I I get up here every other Sunday than to see people giving their lives to Jesus. And I'm thankful to say that around here, uh, there are people that give their life consistently uh, week in and week out. There are people giving their life to the Lord. And that's exciting. That really is exciting. Um, we're in the series, we're calling it the two see that God sees. And the idea is, uh, that we can look around and we can see a, a community that's growing, a community that's stretching, a community that doesn't necessarily have the resources to meet the demands that are being put on it, uh, just by the circumstances. But the truth is God sees something bigger in our community than just lack God sees something bigger in our community than, uh, than, than an influx of people. God sees something bigger in our community than, uh, than sugar beets. <clears throat> God has a plan. God, God has a purpose. And I believe it's God's purpose right here to, uh, to raise. Somebody told me before service that moving here has raised the weight off of their shoulders. It's lifted the weight from their shoulders. And I believe that's God's plan. I believe it's God's plan that as we see a migration of people moving to this valley, that those people would discover Jesus Christ and him crucified. That all the burdens that they've carried their entire life, they would be able to drop those burdens and leave them behind and step into a new life, a new life in Jesus Christ. That's, that's what I really do uh, believe. Um, And, and today um, I'm going to kind of pick off where we, where we left off last week. Last week we uh, we 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 uh, we talked about this idea of uh, what what our response would be to the questions that God has for us, and um, uh, going through uh, th- this is a while back. I remember going uh, on social media and I'd seen a family member of mine post something about like along these lines of like I wish the church would do something um, something that actually made a difference in the world. Um, I wish the church would actually do something like create hospitals or uh, feed sick children. <clears throat> that was that was what the comment essentially said. I wish the church would do something legitimate with their efforts, like create hospitals and feed children. And I just want to, in case you've ever considered that, I, I want to tell you, I, I agree with you. I, I wish the church would do that. And, and thankfully, <clears throat> throughout history, the church has done that. 
Like, like the very fact that we have hospitals in the world is a testament to the church. Uh, there's a reason why every hospital you go to, virtually every hospital you go to, has a Christian title to the, to the hospital. And the reason is because churches have taken it upon themselves to build institutions of education, of universities, of hospitals, to make an impact, a positive impact on our world. Like even racial reconciliation in America. Like, did you realize that that if it wasn't for Christianity, that there would be no like Christianity was the driving force behind removing slavery from America. You you know that like that that it was the driving force behind it. It was believers saying that no longer are we going to stand for there being a, a lower class of people in our world. This is not what God. Intended and, and sure, there were other other believers who uh, misquoted and misused scripture for their own agendas. But uh, but it was through the Christian revivals of the Reformation that that uh, that we we saw slavery abolished, even here in America. It, it, it's, it's told of um, during the the revivals when George Whitfield and the Wesley brothers would would go into communities and preach. At one time in our country. Eight of ten people in our entire country had been affected directly by those revival services. And it's a wonder why those, why, why those people were the greatest generation that flipped the world on its head, that really began to institute things that, that we take for granted today. <clears throat> and it comes from a generation that, that knew God. And I would say if you have concerns or you have fears about the future for your children, if you've ever found yourself saying, I, I just don't know what kind of world my grandchildren will be raised in, then, then what I want to tell you is this. The answer is not more uh, uh, institution. The answer is not a, a political agenda. The answer is not legislation. The answer is a revival of the name of Jesus Christ sweeping our nation. That's the answer. It's not a revival of spirituality. It is a revival of faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's what we need in our country. Uh, and so things like the Red Cross and humanitarian aid and, uh, and all these other things do belong from the church. <clears throat> they come from the church. They come from the same people that you belong to. You belong to the church. You belong to the church. Why don't you say that with me? I belong to the church. We're, we're part of the church. Um, uh, so I, I ran to um, the Maverick or whatever it is right over here off Midland before service. And, and I got two drinks. Um, uh, I got two uh, Dr. Peppers. Anybody know what, what, doctor, what created Dr. Pepper? Like how it was formed? What'd somebody say? Yeah, Dr. Pepper. Okay, Mr. Dr. Pepper. Here, Dr. Pepper was, was, uh, was serendipitously uh, discovered through accidentally carbonating prune juice. That's, that's what it is. It's actually prune juice that's been carbonated. Um, so, presa, uh, yeah, it's, it's really awesome. But here's the deal. Um, I went down to the store, and there were two sodas there. Uh, here's the one Dr. Pepper. I got Dr. Pepper because it's better than every other drink. You guys know that, right? Let me change your life right now. Next time you go into a store, you sit down and you order yourself a Dr. Pepper with lime in it. And you're going to be running the aisles once they deliver it. I'm just telling you. 
<clears throat> so do- Dr. Pepper, and uh, I've got this other Dr. Pepper here. And imagine that I went into the store. Now, I ripped the label off this second bottle here. But, but imagine that this, this bottle already had the label missing. It's sitting next to all the other labeled bottles. You know, in stores, they have people whose job is to come into the store and make sure that every single soda, that as it slides down the, the little tray towards you, their, their job is to make sure that every single one of them slides towards you facing forward. Now, that's why right now you got all the, the, uh, the, the polar bears on the Coca-Colas all sliding towards you. It's somebody's job to do that. But imagine that you went into the store and you saw a soda that looked like this sitting next to a soda that looked like this. Inside, they're the exact same thing. They're both cold. They're both, they're both ready to go. The, the flavor is the same. The recipe is the same. The product is the same. The amount of the product inside the, the bottle is the exact same. The only difference is what it looks like on the outside. And if you were to be honest with me today, you would say that you would choose, if you were paying full price for either one, you would choose 10 times out of 10 the one that nobody's tampered with, right? Uh, you, you would pick the one that already has a nice label, and, and, and it doesn't make any difference. They're the exact same product. There, there's no difference. One has a nice label. And why am I saying this? <clears throat> I'm saying it because there, there is a, a, a tendency sometimes inside of us to say, ah, the church doesn't need anything extra, <clears throat> The, the church, it doesn't matter whether we have the, the, the young people making video announcements. It doesn't matter if we have fancy lights behind us. It doesn't matter if we have a nice, clean building. It doesn't matter if there's greeters giving a high five on the way in the door. All that matters is that you have the product inside. <clears throat> like, just get back to the word. Just get back to the prayer and fasting. And, and like, I agree. Like, I pray and I fast and I probably do it more than you. But the truth is this. <clears throat> The truth is this, is that what brings people into the product is the way the, the, way the product is packaged. God doesn't, God doesn't look on the outside. God looks on the inside. All God cares about is what's on the inside of the product. But the truth is, is that your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers, they care what's on the outside of the package. And so this is why as a church, we care. When we say the 2C God sees, it has, has a church that looks like everybody's rolling up their sleeves getting involved. This is why. Because we can have the package and we can have the power of God and we can have the presence of God during the worship and we can have uh, good, good sermons and we can have all the whole thing and small groups and all of it. But if, if, if it doesn't look right, if it doesn't, doesn't feel right, people are not going to drink the product. What I'm saying is... <clears throat> It is important that what we say is on the inside is on the outside as well. I'm saying it's important if you've had a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ that your life has been changed. I'm saying that if this is your home church that you say, this is my church and I'm in, I'm all in. And it's important if you say, no, this church isn't for me. There's another church that's probably for me. It's important that when you get there that you roll up your sleeves and go all in. Because we are attempting to be the conduit of God's presence into this valley. And that only happens through people engaging in what God calls them to do. So here we go. Here's here's what it says. Jesus says this. He says, uh, you are, Matthew chapter 5 verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill. It cannot be hidden. 
He's saying it's important what you look like because people see a light. Like you are the light of the world. God is the, is the stuff on the inside. But what he packages it with is humans like you and I. <clears throat> It's humans like you and I. And this is just for the, for the nerds out there. This is this is a little bit of Bible trivia. So when Jesus says these words during the Sermon on the Mount, he, he would have been on the north side, sort of the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, looking directly across the sea at the one city that still remains from Jesus's day. It's a city called Tiberias. It's the one city, it was on this exact same hill, and it was a large city back then. It was a, a Roman city, had lots of lights, it had lots of entertainment, had lots of theater and, and sporting events at Tiberias. So Jesus is looking across the sea, and he's literally talking about a hill with a city on it. I just thought I'd throw that out there for you. So when you come with me to Israel, you'll see it. <clears throat> It'll be cool. Um, there's now a hotel there called the Scots Hotel. One of the nicest hotels in Israel is in Tiberias. Uh, it was a Scottish, uh, a Scottish hotel originally. <clears throat> so here, here we go. What does it look like for a church or, or for the saints of God to be that light? What does it look like for us to actually have on the outside what is on the inside? What does it look like? Last week we talked about this idea that that there should be there should be some you are saved by grace but there should be some effort on your part not for salvation's sake but for the fact that you are saved towards good works you you are designed to do good in the world that's why God called you. He called you to save you, but his purpose isn't just to save you. His purpose is that he would redeem your life and change the world through it. So, so what does it look like? Here we go. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse seven through eight, it says this, but since you, this is new international, uh, I think I have new international version here. Um, but since you excel in everything, you excel in faith, you excel in speech, you excel in knowledge, you excel in complete earnestness in the love we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Somebody's like, oh, no, Samantha. We just came to church, and the preacher's going to talk about money. <laughs> He's going to talk about money. Yeah, I, I'm going to talk about money, and it's not going to be weird. Uh, but here's the deal is that the truth is where your money is, that's where your heart is. This is what Jesus says. He says you can know where someone's heart is based on where their checkbook is putting money, putting dollars. Uh, you can say that your heart um, is, is in your marriage, but if everything you spend is on your truck, then your heart is not in your marriage right? Because the, your heart is wherever your treasure is. And he says this, he says, see that you, you excel in great speech and you got good preaching, you got good word, you got lots of faith, you're so earnest. He said, but also there's some really practical stuff you should not forget. That's what he's saying. Don't forget the practical stuff. <clears throat> Here, here's a little uh, chart. This is by the Harvard Business Review. This is uh, 2015, so it's a little dated. Um, okay, uh, Americans giving by various demographics. Okay, so this is uh, this is not a Christian study. This was a Harvard Business Review study. It says this based on like charitable contributions uh, for Americans just in general. Uh, it was less than three percent given by Americans across the country, across the board, towards charitable giving. Less than 
It said that wealthy Americans actually show very little change in that 3%. Wealthy Americans still give less than 3% of their earnings towards charitable contributions. Um, this probably surprised you. It says this, that Christian Americans, people that are Christian by title or by name, that they uh, actually give less than 3%. (laughs) Somebody's like, I secretly know that, right? (laughs) But it says Christian Americans give less than 3%. And it says this, that there's a difference between Christians and church-going Christians, right? And and at church-going Christians is the first time, this is Harvard Business they said that once we discover church-going Christians, the giving spikes to 5 to 8%. Isn't that amazing? People that go to church, on average, give double what other people give. Other people would say, I wish the church would just make a difference. I wish the church would give to poor people. I wish the church would build hospitals, and the church is doing all of those things. I wish the church would give water to people in Africa, and the church is the one giving water to people in Africa. <clears throat> so among church-going Christians, it jumps to 5 to 8%. And then uh, among wealthy, devoted Christians, this, this would be the wealthy among the believers, it actually jumps beyond 10%. Greater than 10% is, is what Harvard Business Review says uh, that wealthy believers give. I would say that that's pretty incredible that a secular organization would recognize that there is something unique about Christians that says this life is not about what I put in my bank account. It's about what I turn and use for the kingdom of God. And I would also say this, that, that there, is, there is a uniqueness, a unique gifting on people that are wealthy among believers to be able to give beyond 10% of their, their income towards, towards what God is doing in the world. I would say that most people that, that say they can't give, it's not, that they, it's not that they don't want to give, it's that they can't give. Is that when they look at their bank account, they realize, like, I just don't have the funds in the bank account to give. And the reason for that is because there is an assault, a spiritual assault on believers in the arena of finances. Because the enemy of your soul knows that devoted wealthy believers change the world. I would say if you can get your finances in order, you can change the world. You could, you could have such incredible impact in the world by simply getting finances in order. Because it's already in your heart, you just feel like you can't do it. It's already there. So here we go. Um, uh, it, it's this idea that, that God wants to do, he wants to do a special thing in our country. Um, we've become this country that's very narcissistic, and that's really what it boils down to. Is we, we, we think the world is all about us, um, especially those of us that are younger. If you're my generation or younger, you, you, you pretty much tend to think that, that the world centers around you. Uh, I think that often, like, just think that's, that's how we were raised. We were just raised to think that we are absolutely incredible and can do anything we put our hearts to. <laughs> and everybody with some life experience just giggled because they know <clears throat> that just because you put your heart to it doesn't mean you're getting there. Like, <laughs> you, you, need to, you need to roll up your sleeves and you need to fight for it if you want to get there. But we, are, we're, we can be narcissistic. We, we're, we're the culture. We'll sit down. It's like the guy that sat down for coffee with somebody, talked for two hours about himself, and said, that's enough about me. Why don't you tell me what you think about me? 
giving is an antidote to the narcissism in our culture. It's probably a better antidote than switching to a flip phone. That's all I'm saying. kidding if you don't know Clark Burton our worship pastor just uh switched to a flip phone which I'm thinking about doing that's a genius um (laughs) it's genius stupid phones but but the truth is giving is an antidote to the narcissism and self-serving attitude in our culture it really is because we're struggling with a paradigm shift when it comes to this idea of giving Paul says I I want you to excel you excel in faith. You excel in being earnest. Like you, you guys pray and things happen. You guys, you guys preach and it's amazing. They should put it on YouTube. And then Paul says this, I just wish that you had the practical part down, that you would excel in the gift of giving. And if somebody's thinking this is a reactionary, it's not reactionary. I'm not preaching. Like we have a generous church. You know that, but this is a generous church. Like you need the people here are givers. That's, that's not what I'm doing, but it's also my responsibility to give you the whole counsel of God. Marco Polo, Christopher Columbus sailing around the world, what they were confronting was a paradigm. Every time they had to get permission to begin to sail around the world, the biggest struggle they faced was not sailboats. The biggest struggle they faced was not people working in the boats. The biggest struggle they faced was not the trade winds. The biggest struggle that they faced, Marco Polo and uh, and Christopher Columbus, the biggest struggle is the paradigms that said the world is flat. That's what they were fighting against. And I would say that we as Americans, what we struggle with the most when it comes to giving is just a paradigm. It's not that giving is hard because we want to give, but we just have this paradigm that that, that keeps us from it. Here's what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 15. It says, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again. Naked as he came, and he shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand doesn't matter how much money you gain in this life you're gonna leave with no money doesn't matter how nice your car is at the very best they bury you in it and it will rust and it will decay and it will be no more at our very best, our, our greatest accomplishments do not leave the kind of legacy that the kingdom of God leaves. This is why we partner with God, because our lives are not our own, but we were bought with a price, and now we leverage everything in our life for Jesus Christ. There, there's this quote, I was actually asking somebody for this quote uh, to find it last week, uh, so I could use it this week. Um, Uh, by Stephen King. I've never read any of his books, for those of you that are concerned. Um, Although after looking at his quotes, I realize he's quite funny, and maybe I should. I don't know. Um, But here's a quote by Stephen King. It was was uh, an address to a university. He says this. A couple of years ago, I found out that I found out what you can't take it with you really means. I found out while I was laying in a ditch at the side of a country road covered with mud and blood and with the tibia of my right leg sticking out through my jeans like a branch on a broken tree limb. I had a MasterCard in my wallet, but when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass and blood in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. We all know that life is ephemeral, 
But on that particular day and in the months that followed, I got a painful but extremely valuable look at life's simple backstage truth. We all come in naked and broke. We may be dressed when we go out, but we're just as broke. Warren Buffett, going broke. Bill Gates, going out broke. Tom Hanks, going to go out broke. Steve King, broke. Not a crying dime goes with me. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, all that is mostly smoke and mirrors, it goes away. It's still going to be quarter past getting late whenever you tell time on a Timex or a Rolex. And no matter how large your bank account, no matter how many credit cards you have, sooner or later, things will begin going wrongly with the three things that you can really call your own. Your body, your soul, your spirit. So I want you to consider making your life one long gift to others. And why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is what you pass on. We may have the power to help, the power to change. And why should we refuse? Because we are, because are we going to take it with us? Please, giving is a way of taking the focus off the money we make and putting it back where it belongs, on the lives we lead, the families we raise, and the communities that nurture us. A life of giving, not just money, but time and spirit, it repays. It helps us remember that we may be going out broke, but right now we're doing okay. And right now we have the power to do some good for someone other than ourselves. So I ask you, Begin giving and continue as you begin. I think you will find in the end that you got far more than you ever had and did more good than you ever dreamed. It's important that we give. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1 says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the church of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Let me tell you a secret about your pastor. I'm not a big fan of, of, of doing special offerings every time that the church needs something. I'm not, you, if you've been here for any length of time, you've probably never seen one. And the reason is because the biblical model is not special offerings to help a certain area. It's not, it's not special gifts that we're going to give to contribute to something. The biblical model is that everyone, every week, brings what they can. And we store it up to be able to do what God is going to do with it. Like, like I know that as a, as a pastor, I would love to have a building. Wouldn't you guys love to have a building? And, and, and we're going to have a building soon. Like, like we're, we're going to have that. I believe that. But the truth is, the, the truth is, like, we'll probably have to have people give above, above and beyond to be able to accomplish that. But if everyone in the kingdom of God would, would give, like, the biblical mandate of actually giving, I bet we wouldn't have to have anyone give above and beyond. All right, 
Here's what it says. So I'm going to go back to that same passage where, where, where Paul is talking about what it looks like for the church to give, the New Testament church, what it looks like. He says this. Uh, the first part, it says, uh, put it up there and go. Boom. Next, next, go down, go down one more. There we go. It says, on the first day of every week. I think it's important that we are deliberate givers. I think it's important. Um, I'm glad that God does not, he, he, he does not um, ask us to be spontaneous givers. In fact, I'm against spontaneous giving. You're going to find that we're, we're not going to create emotional hype and, and try to get people to give. Spontaneous giving, it might be good in the moment, but the truth is I've seen more often than not people give far beyond what they should have given to the point where it hurts themselves. And, and, and the truth is like a spontaneous gift towards God is more like a tip than it is really an offering. Like the preaching was good this Sunday, so I'm going to put $15 in the plate. Uh, that's, that's not the same thing as a heart that says, I want to demonstrate my love for Jesus, right? Uh, that's somebody just tipping God based on what's going on in the moment. <clears throat> we live in that, you know, the, give, me that, give me that customer service culture. And if they greet me just enough times, and if they play the songs that I really like, then I'm going to give. And that's not healthy. Uh, that, that, that's not the way we want people around here to give. I, I really don't want you to give spontaneously because you're in the mood or emotional. You're never going to see people coming up here, throwing money on the altar, sowing a seed like a good old gospel church. We're not doing that. But, but what will happen, what will happen is you will see us teaching people to give deliberately. On the first day of the week, just set it up in your heart and in your mind that you're going to give. You're going to do it. This is Paul's instruction to the first century church for all of you that are right now thinking about all your favorite YouTube channels that really attempt to pull away wealth from the church. There's a reason why there's an assault on the finances of the church in America and in the world. Because without finances, the church cannot accomplish the visions that God has placed in the hearts of pastors. So he says, just give on, on, on the first, just be a de deliberate giver. And what, what does that look like? Well, that means just be intentional. Just give, be, be intentional. I'm just going to make sure I give. Like, that may be very little. That may just be like, you know, I'm just going to give $10 a week or, or whatever it is. Just be intentional. Just, just be intentional. And, and, and really around here, about 75% of the people that give, give online. In this church, what that means is that, like, if you actually aren't giving, you can still look like you are giving deliberately. What you do is, like, when when the offering plate is being passed, just look to your neighbor and just be like, "I give online," <laughs> and they'll be like, "Oh, cool, you're giving deliberately." I got it. like, you're not, but but you're working on it. You're work, you're, you're getting there, right? Like, your 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 heart is there. That's all that matters. Uh, the, the second thing that he says there is, he says, "Give on the first day." The second is, he says. Uh, I will give what I have. He says, each of you is to put something aside. <clears throat> something aside. Uh, I find it amazing that the people that are the most adamant against tithing in the Bible, the most adamant against giving, are not generous people at all. The heart of it really boils down to that they don't want to give anything that they don't control. 
He says, give something, set something aside. It doesn't just set something, start, start there, set something aside. And we're not putting pressure on you to give a certain amount or any, but the truth is you've got to determine in your heart what you're going to give and set it aside. Just put something aside. Give what you have. God's not asking you to give like a millionaire if you're not a millionaire. And God's, God, God's just asking you to put something aside. What you have to give, that's what you give. Because there are people that are very wealthy that, are, that, that, that do give, but, they, but the, the truth is they're very, they're very stingy. But because they give more than you, you think they're super generous. And there's people that are very poor that you think just aren't generous at all, but the truth is they're giving everything they've got. But according to the stats that I just showed you, in the church, it's not that way. In the church, people that are wealthy are very generous people. It's, it's, this is good for you. So, you. You just want me to shout and holler all the time. The truth is Jesus talked about this more than he talks about anything else. And if, if you don't believe that, read the New Testament. Read it. <clears throat> he says this. After that passage, he said, now concerning each of you should store up um, what, what is proper so there'll be no collecting when, I, when I'm coming. And then the next verse says this. <clears throat> oh, there we go. Percentage-based giver. Sorry. There we go. I should stick to my notes. Percentage-based giver. It says this. He says they should give as he may prosper, based on, it says you should give as you prosper. So it should be based on, the way you give is based on how you prosper. If you're not making any money, you shouldn't be giving any money. That's what it says. It says based on how they prosper. Even the tithe in the Old Testament was based on increase. That's what it was based on. He's saying, so when you're doing really well, you should be giving really well. When you're doing really, really poor, like no one's coming knocking on your door saying, why aren't you giving like you used to give? That's not this kind of church. But the truth is for you to genuinely foster discipleship in your own heart, this is important. This is valuable. So <clears throat> it should be a percentage-based giver. We're, we're never going to play like the way I grew up. Uh, we, they, they would play slideshows. Anybody remember the film strips? The, the old church film strips. They'd play the film strips and play a sad song and like make you just really, really feel bad. And like, oh, like, oh, look at the poor children. And then you get, like, we're not going to do that. There's not going to be any sort of uh, manipulation or any trying to make you sad. I'm, I'm not going to say like, ah, if you just bought a four-wheeler, you should sell that thing and give it to Jesus. Like, we're not doing that. I'm not getting mad at people for buying toys and for the family and, and having a nice house. That's not the point. The point is, is that the way God tests our heart is by our giving. In fact, that first passage I read, jump back, go back, go back, go back, go back, 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 more, back, more, back, back, more, up, 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 to where it's 16, verse 2, do verse 2. Nope, down. And then go to the next one after that. Here's this. Verse 2. Okay, very good. And then go down one more. Okay, I didn't include it. The next verse says this. I'm blaming it on you over there. Come on. Somebody's slacking on the PowerPoint job. The next verse says this. After that, after it says how to give, it says this. Paul says, I am not commanding you. He says, 
you should excel in the gift of giving. And the next phrase says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it to the earnestness of others. He's saying it's not a command. It's not a law. But it is the test to decide how earnest your faith truly is. It is, it is the test. Now, I just messed up my notes doing that. That's all right, guys. <clears throat> so a percentage-based giver. Um, here's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. It says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. So it's not God's desire that we should guilt people or, or, or make them feel pressured to give. It's, it's my job to educate you about giving, but it's your job to pray about it with your spouse and determine what God has placed in your heart and give that. That's your job. For all of you singles, you're like, who's he? All right. Um, if you've never given before, I mean, I'm going to move on in just a moment, but if you've never given before, I'm going to give you an opportunity to give. Uh, we'll make it December 15th, and here's what's going on. We have been partnering with Willow Creek Elementary School for a couple of years now, and we, we do a big give there every year where we give lots of dinners to these kids, uh, to their homes. Um, you know that in our community, there are many families that are underprivileged. I don't know if you know that or not, but, but Nampa is a struggling community. And we, we partner and give them lots of gifts. And we actually, the PTA has joined us. They, they love what we're doing. So they, they've joined us and now they provide gifts and we give food. We give these big food boxes. They're about $70, $75 a piece, I believe, um, for these big boxes of food. And we've given as many as 135 of them away. Um, and I think the lowest we ever gave was like maybe 50 or 60 away. The point is this. We, we have, there are people in the church that, that love that and they get behind it and they give directly to that. <clears throat> and I'll ask like, hey, if you can nominate somebody, give us a name. And I get lots of names, but I get very few people that are ever like, hey, I want to buy one of those boxes, 70 bucks. Like, come on. I pay, I pay that in online subscriptions for Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu. <laughs> and you can buy a family. Like I'm talking a full on big box of food with a turkey and a ham and potatoes and rice and beans and corn. And like, it's amazing. And uh, and what I would say is instead of leaving it up to two or three people in the church who have a heart for it and say, let's make it happen, I, I think we should all buy in. And, and, and you should go home with your spouse and say, should we buy one or two dinners? I, I, th I think that would be good for you. Like, especially if you've never given before, it would be such a good test of your faith. It would be good for you. It would be healthy for you to do that. Um, because here's the deal. I was talking with the social workers and the counselors at the school, and, and this week they, they said this. They said that no other church partnership in our district or our valley is as successful as our church's partnership with the school. They said they have other school administrations and other counselors and other social workers from all across the district calling them and asking them what in the world they did to get Celebration Church to buy into the kids in their school. I mean, we actually have other schools calling our church saying, how in the world do we find another church that 
and the truth is they had several churches that partnered with them, but they all left. But the point is this, is we understand something, that, that if we can bless those kids, if we can make an impact in their life, it's not just about putting food in their belly, propane in their tank, or fixing their car. The truth is, is if we can bless those kids, God gives us the leverage and the ability, and he'll begin to open doors where we can see eternal impact in the lives of little kids. So I want to encourage you, December 15th, you need to be thinking about you getting involved in that. Because I would love to see, I would love to see a massive amount of participation. People saying, I'm all in, I'm going to, I'm going to buy a couple dinners, and we're going to feed some kids that need food. That would be good. And the next thing is this, this is just going to be a, a soft launch, and that's this. is At some point, this church needs to have a building. Whoever said that, I'm with you. Well, like we've been, we've been portable our whole lives as a church and I'm good with it. I'm not the one that does the setup. And, and I understand that going to a building actually brings on a whole nother level of, of pressures on a church. So I have no desire to like put us in debt or in board would never let that happen. But the truth is, is we need to begin getting prepared to get there. And, and we budget the, the money that comes in, but the truth is, It'll take, it'll take 30 years for us to have the kind of money to have a 300000 down payment on a building. Or we can have people that say, I have a heart to get us there earlier. I have a heart to get us there within the year. Like, there are people in the house that, and I'm not, I'm not saying people with money. I'm saying everybody in the house coming together can create the kind of leverage that God will use. We actually have, like, God is beginning to open doors in this area, but what we need as a church is money. Because we can cheerlead and we can love the idea, but cheerleading and being excited about something and writing checks are totally different things. Totally different things. All right, I'll move on. Here we go. I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna jump to the end of my message. Here's what it says. Uh, is there somebody here, you've been coming for less than, uh, less than a month maybe, and, and, and you're willing to be an illustration? If, is, there anybody that's, is there anybody that's willing? You've been, you haven't been coming a long time, but you're willing to be an illustration. Yeah, no? Nobody? Are anybody willing to be an illustration for me? There we go. Come on, Chris. I heard somebody, but you're a moment late. Come on. You've been serving faithfully with the kids. I love it. Been, been speaking to the kids and ministering to them. Come on. Chris Sullivan. So um, here, here's what the Bible says. It says this. This is a verse that most people don't see. It's in Hebrews chapter 7. It says this. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. And the band can begin to come. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. But in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. What is it saying? It's saying in one hand, the tithe is received by ushers, mortal people. But the other side of that coin is that that same dollar that is received by an usher, it is also received by one who lives. Talking about heaven, talking about God. 
And so where what we receive, we see it just people and we just see it as lights. You're never gonna have us, well, we need to keep the lights on. We're not gonna do that. But when you give, you may be just giving into an offering plate. But the Bible in Hebrews chapter seven, verse eight says, you are giving to the one who lives, the one who lives on. And I would say it is not just a physical act. It is a spiritual act. And God sees it and God blesses it. The Bible says that uh, the, New, the New Testament, I would say I would encourage you to make percentage-based giving. I would make that a challenge in your life. In, in the Bible, Jesus condones this. This is also in the Old Testament. Uh, Paul condones it. Hebrews talks about it as well. This is, it's called tithe. Well, tithe means, it literally means a tenth. I would challenge you to do it. So tithe looks like this. Watch, I'm going to just give Chris some money. resources that you work for, God is the one giving them to you. You're stewarding a job that he gives you. So God gives you the $200. And then he says this, just like I did with my son on a camping trip. I was like, hey, can I have a piece of your Snickers? That's what I said to my son. And he gave me the little piece. I didn't care. It wasn't about the size of the piece. It was about the heart of a son that says, yeah, you can have a piece of my Snickers because I'll give you Snickers all day if you give me a piece. God says that you then return 10%. So, yeah, but you can't, don't give it to me. I don't, I'm the pastor, I don't take cash. So, do we, <laughs> do we have like an envelope? Somebody got an envelope? <clears throat> there we go. <laughs> Here, you gotta put it in an envelope. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, just put it in there and then you're gonna write on it real quick right here. get it in there. We, we need bigger envelopes, maybe. Somebody doesn't have big enough vision with these envelopes. Yeah. C-H-R-M Sullivan. Mother's maiden name. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Okay, so now you, t- you take that and when the offering goes around, you're going to give it. So we're going to have one of the ushers come. You just give it to one of the ushers. happens is the Bible says that God will rebuke the devourer on the other 180. That means God, God, people think in terms of blessing, but God thinks in terms of pulling away a devourer. And God's going to use that to multiply. There you go. Go for it. Thank you again for listening in. If you have a moment, we'd love to hear how God impacted you through this message. And we'd love your help by spreading the word, by rating, reviewing, and sharing the podcast. But more than that, we'd love to see you in person this Sunday. We want you to be a part of the family. If you want to find out more about Celebration Church or partner with us through giving, you can find us online at thecelebration.church or find us on Facebook. Let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.